Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. A date has been set for the recall election targeting Governor Gavin Newsom. With more, here's KQED's Katie Orr. The recall election has been set for Tuesday, September 14th. Candidates looking to challenge Newsom for his seat have about two weeks to officially file for the race. Democratic political consultant Robin Swanson says that relatively short period likely means this election will be different from the 2003 recall of Governor Gray Davis. In that race, 135 candidates flooded the ballot. In this instance, people are going to have to file quickly. They either will have already announced that they are running or they're going to have to do it in the next couple of weeks. The Department of Finance estimates it will cost $276 million to administer the election. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento. Let's turn to the pandemic. There are growing concerns about the highly transmissible Delta variant of the coronavirus in Los Angeles County. KPCC health reporter Jackie Fortier has the details. New COVID-19 cases have more than doubled in L.A. since most of the state's coronavirus restrictions were lifted on June 15th. Another wave could become a very real possibility. That's Barbara Ferrer, director of the L.A. County Public Health Department. While the vaccines are highly effective at preventing severe illness and death, Ferrer said it's not yet known if vaccinated people who become infected with the Delta variant and have symptoms such as coughing can spread it to others. Fully vaccinated people may in fact be getting infected with the Delta variant at a higher rate than we've seen with other variants. So we should pay attention to that and we should be cautious. The rise in cases prompted Ferrer to recommend that everyone, including fully vaccinated people, wear face masks indoors in places like grocery stores and movie theaters. About four million people in L.A. are not vaccinated. For The California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. Meanwhile, in the Bay Area, new COVID-19 cases have jumped by about 20 percent since the state's June 15th reopening. State and local health officials were expecting a spike in cases as restrictions were lifted. And it is important to note that the numbers are still much lower than the worst days of the winter surge, when the state saw about 100 new cases a day for every 100,000 people. Now we're at three new cases a day. In Sacramento, there's also been seven new COVID cases cases at the state capitol building, all involving the same assembly office, as legislators this week pushed forward with a new budget deal. Those employees are following quarantine recommendations, and people who may have come into contact with those individuals have been notified and are being tested. 
Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. In the wake of California's record-breaking wildfire season last fall, NPR and California affiliate stations have found that the Federal Emergency Management Agency only approved 5% of the applications it received from people for assistance. That's the lowest approval rate for FEMA aid for any California wildfire disaster on record. Sean McMinn is data editor of NPR's investigations team and joins me now to talk about the findings. I've seen these kind of FEMA assistant tenders that are set up right after fires. And and that's what we're talking about, right? Where homeowners or people walk up and talk to a FEMA person or I guess go online and do it. Yeah, they added the online option. A lot of people apply online as a mobile app. You can do it from, you know, opening it up like that to be able to register for yourself online has, has led to, you know, opportunities for people to take advantage of the program. Can you give us a specific example of a community you covered where the number of claims filed seems suspicious? Yeah, so that's what made it more complicated is we got this data from CAL FIRE. They told us how many homes burned in different parts of the state. And so we're able to compare that to how many people applied for FEMA. And you'd think that it would be roughly equal, right? The number of homes that were lost would be the people who were applying. But it was way higher. Across the state, there was about three and a half to four applications on average from people who said that their homes were damaged versus the number of homes that were damaged. Specifically, we zoomed in on on San Bernardino, which had uh, something like 70 or 80 applications filed on average for each home that was lost. That in and of itself kind of raised a red flag, like why are all these people applying? But then when you zoom in even further, we saw a place like Victorville, which is a city in the desert there. Four people there actually got aid from FEMA But the fire was nowhere near Victorville. It was 30 miles away on the other side of the mountains. This is the El Dorado fire from last year. So we wanted to try to figure out, okay, what's happening here? Is it fraud? Is it something else? And either people did not know or people would not tell us. And Sean, just to hit this nail on the head a little bit more, FEMA declined these applications because it was concerned about fraud? Well, some of them, certainly, we've asked them repeatedly how many that was the case for, and we haven't gotten an answer. But if you're looking at the number of people who applied versus the number of homes that were burned, there's no way that this many people actually had, you know, losses, actually lost their homes. Um, There can be other reasons people are ineligible. However, we have not gotten an explanation on exactly how many of these cases are suspected to be fraudulent. Now, let me give you a little bit of context. If we go up north to Oregon, there was uh, a record-breaking number 
of homes destroyed there last year by fire as well. 21,000 applications came in for housing assistance. 9,000 of them, FEMA says, were fraudulent. So that's almost half. We don't know if that's the same in California, but it sure does seem like something's going on there. All right. That is NPR's Sean McMinn. Sean, thank you for your work on this and the work of all your colleagues at all the affiliate stations here in California. Thanks all for having me. Sales of handguns and long guns in California shot up last year. That's according to new data released by State Attorney General Rob Bonta yesterday. Bonta's office says in 2020, handgun sales rose by more than 65%. Close to 700,000 handguns were legally purchased in California. That's the most since the state began keeping digital records of sales 25 years ago. Meanwhile, sales of long guns, those are rifles, by the way, increased by 46%, reaching their highest sales level since 2016. Bonta says tracking the sales figures is vital. The data is important. It informs our action to the extent we are seeing increases in gun violence, increases in homicides. It allows us to address those. The weapon sales trend in California mirrors national data, which also show an increase in gun sales last year. In other news, the Los Angeles City Council has approved a measure that would restrict homeless encampments near homeless shelters, daycare centers, schools, and a number of other public facilities. It would also prohibit tents from blocking sidewalks. The new restrictions passed by a 13-2 to 2 vote yesterday, but won't go into effect until a second vote is cast, likely at the end of this month. Councilman Mike Bonin was one of the two no votes. In an impassioned speech, he talked about his own experiences of being unhoused and his major concern with the ordinance. What we're doing today, even as improved, tells people who are unhoused and unsheltered and have no place to go where they cannot sleep, but it does not tell them where they can sleep. Uh, everything else aside, that's what it comes down to for me. Where can people go? Where can people sleep when they do not have an alternative? Opponents of the measure argue this would criminalize homelessness, but supporters say the encampments are increasingly squalid and block access to public spaces. They also say the use of law enforcement would be limited. Many council members who voted in favor of the ordinance called this a good first step, but not the final answer to solving the homeless crisis in L.A. Here's Councilman Marquise Harris-Dawson. This problem at this moment feels hopeless, uh, and it... it uh, feels like a challenge that we have yet uh, to come up with the intellect, ingenuity, and creativity to solve. The debate over homelessness, already a huge political issue in L.A., has gotten more intense. That after a large encampment at Echo Park Lake was cleared earlier this year, there are ongoing efforts to do the same thing in Venice Beach. Meanwhile, in Sacramento, Mayor Daryl Steinberg has announced his own plan to combat that city's growing homeless population. Here's Mayor Steinberg during his State of the City address this week. I propose that our city be the first to enact both a legal right to safe shelter and housing and a parallel obligation for unsheltered people to accept that shelter and housing when it is offered. The $75 million plan would add new safe sites across Sacramento to accommodate up to 5,000 more people who are unsheltered. Mayor Steinberg says getting people off the streets is the first step in helping them. We cannot help people 
who are living with serious mental illness and substance abuse until they come indoors. We can't help people who are suffering when they are living under the freeway. It's common sense. The mayor has long been a proponent of a right to housing law. And in fact, a federal judge in Los Angeles cited an op-ed Steinberg wrote when he ordered officials in Los Angeles to house everyone on Skid Row by October. Massachusetts, New York, and Washington, D.C. have adopted similar right-to-shelter laws to combat homelessness. But the Sacramento proposal goes a step further by pairing it with an obligation for those who are homeless to accept housing and shelter when it's offered. This week, our sister show, The California Reports Weekly Magazine, is looking at COVID vaccination rates. Even though nearly 60% of Californians are fully vaccinated, in some Central Valley counties, well over half of Latinos haven't even gotten their first shot. But as host Sasha Coca tells us, artists and musicians in the San Joaquin Valley are on a mission to bridge the vaccination gap. Ponte la mascarilla, necesitas la protección. No inhales el aliento de quien sin saber puede traer infección. That's legendary ranchera singer Carmen Cristina Moreno with her original composition about the dangers of the virus. It's part of a collaboration between the Alliance for California Traditional Arts and Radio Bilingüe, the National Latino Public Radio Network. The idea is to encourage COVID prevention and boost vaccination rates in places where community skepticism and barriers to access are keeping people unvaccinated. This is just one of many creative offerings supporting this effort. There's also music in indigenous languages like Mixteco and a radio drama by former U.S. Poet Laureate Juan Felipe Herrera. Come on, Papi. La vacuna. Just a shot in the arm and a cool mask, Dad. Some of these artists have been performing live in Central Valley towns as audience members sign up for their shots at performances. For the California Report, I'm Sasha Coca. To hear more of that interesting story, you could listen to this weekend's California Report magazine or find it wherever you get your podcasts. And that's the California Report for Friday, July 2nd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin and Danny Bringer, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Tobin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and a happiest of July 4th weekends. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits, stanfordhealthcare.org slash adaptingcare, and Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food, on the web at theschmidt.org. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. 
Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.